My conversation today is with author and Freemason, Angel Miller. I came across Angel's work fairly recently in 2021 with his book, Path of the Warrior Mystic, which I highly recommend. Brother Miller and I sat down to chat about hypnotism and neuro-linguistic programming, some of the downsides to working in modern esoteric circles, and the necessity of pursuing self-mastery. I'm Ike Baker, and this is the Arcanum Podcast. I was taking a look at your website, which is wonderfully done, and uh I guess I didn't realize because I'm I'm more most familiar with you from your literary output. Uh, right. Yeah. I didn't realize you were a hypnotist. That's so cool. Yeah, that's right. Yeah. <clears throat> um, yeah, I became a qualified hypnotist a couple of years ago, so that, that's rather good. Actually, there was a brother who uh, uh, taught me how to do hypnotism. So, although I, I, I was actually very I was familiar with almost every part of it, but. Um, from different areas like martial arts writing meditation so so i kind of knew it all but it was um well i knew most of it but it was a good way of like putting it all together it sort of brought a lot of different areas of my life together so that was really cool <clears throat> yeah that's excellent yeah. yeah it's always it's always wonderful when those those things happen you know all the the, the connective tissue finally comes together yeah definitely definitely yeah for sure and it was kind of a transformative experience in a way and actually at the moment he's, he's running the same course and i've been popping in and just going along on sundays and it's it's still good so, so he kind of let you led you down that path or, or i mean like you say uh, i'm sure a lot of the the literature and the things that that we study the practices and yeah. meditation though they're they're different they're kind of they they orbit hypnotism yeah that's right yeah so i mean a lot of the actual techniques that i really come across before and practiced before and um, in regard to the hypnotic part being a, a writer um and you know I've, I've written for different brands uh different mostly fashion companies so that in a sense it's very much related to hypnotism because you're trying to motivate someone to do something, which is kind of what hypnotism is as well. There's a definite relationship. And, and in fact, if you, if you look at the history of hypnotism, it's it's kind of fascinating because on the one hand, it connects to esoteric spirituality, um, but on the other, it also connects to marketing. So it, and there was a book a few decades ago written on how to use hypnotism for, in sales and um and even in neurolinguistic programming which is used in all sorts of you know sales companies now neurolinguistic programming is basically hypnotism um there's really no difference and in fact the the, the founders of neurolinguistic programming the were, were practicing hypnotism when they invented it and and at first they 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 even said we're not we're not inventing a new type of therapy um, we're, all we're doing is explaining how it's done, and then later on it became repackaged as uh, as NLP. So it's basically it's basically hypnotism. I mean, wow. there's really no difference. Wow, that's yeah. I mean, it makes sense, right? So <laughs> yeah, um, definitely. So do you see do you see clientele 
for for hypnotism i'm sure uh, that you do i do i do not in, not entirely regularly partly because i'm juggling a few other things but probably in a, in a few months i'll start to do that more often but i, I still do do it uh, occasionally when people contacted me i mean i did one a couple of weeks ago so uh yeah so that's always good and you and you'd be amazed that the, the results that people have is incredible even after one session well mo- i most often. i actually I actually am, uh, I know a few people who have used hypnotism to great effect yeah. to mitigate addictions of, yeah. of various sorts. And uh, it's always interested me, particularly as someone who, you know, is uh, unabashedly in recovery. But uh, oh, right. yeah. in, in, in the f- recovery of or from um, uh, well, alcohol and substance okay. abuse. So, yeah. um, yeah. And, uh, and, um, the thing is I've, I've tried it a few times. I was very young and I, I personally, although I believe in its efficacy, I resisted it. And yeah, have, you, yeah. have you ever come, come across that or? Um, not, not really resistance. I mean, you can't, you, you can definitely resist it, but then that's kind of self-defeating, right? It's like, it's like going to a gym. You can sit there and not work out in front of your trainer your trainer can't do anything right it's kind of like that you can resist the hypnotist for sure you just say to yourself la 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 when in your head when they're speaking but um it's kind of you're only hurting yourself so you know yeah well it was it was one of these things where i i think i just i didn't do it consciously right i guess it's the same thing with exercise too right you can set these like self-sabotage track uh traps yeah, yeah. for yourself but with with i guess your your built-in subconscious issues but i i just i i couldn't stop thinking i couldn't silence the the inner um monologue and i mm-hmm. i guess that's a product of of not being able to to relax i guess i, I don't <laughs> Yeah, well, I mean, in in a, if if a hypnotist is working with you, then they should be able to silence the inner monologue, not least of all, because uh, they should be talking to you pretty much constantly to prevent that. But um, and obviously, you know, even when someone's talking, you can get idle thoughts. But yeah, I, yeah, it sounds like there might be an issue there. So. Yeah. Well, I mean, uh, uh, the the person that I did work with did not have nearly as soothing a voice as you do. Yeah, so that's, I'm sure you, that's you, you do a it. great job. <laughs> yeah, my voice changes when I do it as well. I tend to speak deeper and slower, and you know. So, but I, I know you're into Martinism. You know that Sam Martin was a practicing hypnotist. That was actually something that I wanted to bring up with you yeah. because I had no idea. I read it on one of your your blogs, actually. Yeah, Do you study right. Martinism? Uh, I mean, t- technically, I when people ask me, I usually say, no, I'm not a Martinist. But then I, f- I forget. I actually did take the um, uh, the first degree of Martinism in the Martinist order of unknown philosophers. I forget what, what uh, I forget what the name of the first degree associate yeah the the, the the fraternity the, the you know the socializing is is definitely a boon in um in masonry how long have you been yeah. uh a member of the uh the craft since 2001 actually since uh, october 2001 wow, wow. yeah and i guess that's wow that i guess that's influenced a lot of of what you've done i mean i i believe yeah. you did write a book on on freemasonry and and it, you you mention it quite a bit in um in your other literature yeah well i've written i've written three books on freemasonry actually oh wow yeah so That's i wrote the freemasonry found uh, freemasonry 
the history, Freemasonry foundation of the Western esoteric tradition, and uh, the Crescent and the Compass, uh, which is about Islam and Freemasonry. So, uh, okay, yeah. that's awesome. Yeah, that's great. Uh, you still active? Um, I mean, I'm not as, as active as many people. I don't. I, I'm, I'm honestly, I'm so busy that even getting away for a night is kind of difficult for me. But um, <clears throat> I'm active in the sense that. You know, I do try to go occasionally and, um, you know, I contribute, well, I'm the editor in chief of the Fraternal Review and I, I try and give talks around the different lodges so that I'm more active in giving talks at lodges than actually going to my own lodge, to be honest. But uh, hopefully this year I'll be able to get there at least a few times. So, yeah. yeah, that's excellent. Yeah, that's awesome. Um, yeah, I guess that's something I'm just starting to, I guess, break into or, or become interested in is giving the uh i guess esoteric lectures stuff yeah <laughs> you know you get different different uh, there's different receptions based on the the people present uh, how deep they want to go and 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 how esoteric they want to get about uh, freemasonry but i think uh your work is a is a very good example of of how you can derive a tremendous amount of i guess depth of meaning from from both both interpretations you know the mm -hmm. the more i guess literal uh teachings of morality and things like that and also yeah. the uh the esoteric component yeah well without you know teachings on morality and without having some kind of ethical code for life um all the esoteric teachings are going to do is harm you so you know yeah. you should probably stay away from that because you know people that don't have that and i think that's the majority of people in the western esoteric world um you know they end up be just becoming fantasists and detached from reality and you know that's not actually what it's supposed to be yeah yeah i people always squirm in the esoteric orders of which i am a part when i say if you are not living this it's cosplay yeah we're not only living it but i think that you need to be kind of you need to be you need to be someone who's interesting outside of the world of the esoteric you know so many people if you took away the their esotericism would be completely boring uh, and it's only <laughs> that that gives them a personality and that's actually not what it's meant to be it's supposed to be that's you're supposed to be going deeper into something it's not that's your substitute for everything else. And, you know, near esotericism through the centuries, um, you know, you had to practice your religion. You know, Sufism wasn't this thing where you thought, oh, Islam, I don't like that. That's boring. I'm going to do Sufism instead. You're supposed to, that's the, the path that goes off of the straight road. It's, you know, it's, you're going sort of deeper into something so you still would you know adhere to sharia and stuff like that and the most mm -hmm. outward forms and not eat not eat pork and not drink alcohol but people think today oh i can just uh you know i just do a bit of sufism mix it with some kabbalah chuck in some wicker and make my own yeah. stuff up you know it's not yeah. actually how it works yeah spirituality a la buffet there's there's definitely yeah, totally, yeah there's definitely something um like you said I, I like i like the idea of going deeper into something well, because if you if is. you right if you only dip your toe 
you never know the system. You never get where it's trying to get you. Yeah, well, uh, that and you also need the outer stuff as well. All the stuff that most esotericists think are completely boring. You, you also need all that. That's the whole point. I mean, <clears throat> if you don't have this outer work, you know, you're not really going in deeper into anything. You're just being a fantasist. Right, right. That's a good way to put yeah. it, fantasist. Yeah. <laughs> so I uh, speaking, I guess going back to the track a little bit about about masonry, since we're, we are talking about uh, esoteric uh, societies or hypnotism, um, uh, I did spend some time studying Mesmer, and I found him to be completely fascinating. And I saw that you mentioned him in Connect, right? I, I guess he's the father of modern hypnotism, right? Yeah, of modern hip. Well, I mean, there were people before Mesmer, but Mesmer really popularized it. Yeah, so yeah, in a sense, yeah. So he he came from you know modern what would be modern day Austria, but uh, uh, moved to Paris and um, became really a celebrity in Paris actually, and uh, for his for his hypnotism. I mean, at the time, it wasn't called hypnotism. That word hadn't really been coined, but um, right. essentially, that's what he was doing what he was doing is what we now call hypnotism but yeah he became uh, extremely uh, famous i mean far more there were far more uh, tracts and essays written about uh, mesmer than there ever were about voltaire so mesmer was far more influential on the on the public mind than than voltaire voltaire was uh, yeah well, th well, thank God for that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> I, uh, I, the, um, the, the interesting thing is, I mean, he's, his name is in our, is in our English, you know, lexicon to be mesmerized by something, but, uh, yeah, that's he, right. I, I, I think, I think that, uh, there was some energetic component that he was working with. Correct. He called it like a, f a fluidic yeah. light. And yeah. Well, he, so he believed that there was a kind of invisible fluid that was sort of around people and sort of penetrated people which you know you can see that in um you know in, uh, in other non-western spiritual traditions right like the idea of chi and taoism uh you know prana or even kundalini and tantric uh tantric yoga uh you know and you do see it elsewhere you know for example after mesmer you know 20th century uh wilhelm reich the early psychoanalyst uh, believed that there was a this energy called orgon in the atmosphere that you could actually extract so you you do and you do kind of find it all over the place but yeah he believed that he was manipulating this invisible um force or fluid uh i mean it's, you know maybe a, there are a couple of contradictory things to be said about that and, and one is at that time, that seemed very scientific because, you know, Benjamin Franklin was making experiments with the, the invisible force of electricity and harnessing electricity. Uh, Newton had discovered this other invisible force called gravity. And um, you know, by the end of the uh, 18th century, when Mesmer was active, uh, th th there was the first successful uh uh, flight of a balloon lifting a, a human being into the air so using this you know using hot air another invisible force so 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 mesmer's idea that there was an invisible force around people that could be manipulated actually seemed quite scientific um not that he was necessarily doing anything that we would regard as science uh and certainly you know there was a strong sort of spiritual realization uh within uh, you know mesmer's own mind about what he was doing and you know 
it wasn't it wasn't unrelated to esotericism or the spiritual the mystical but uh, you know uh, contradicting that you know so, as someone who has been involved with all sorts of um uh, meditation since very young over the last few decades you know there, there definitely is something that, that is either an energy or that feels like an energy when you do some particular meditations and that can be manipulated and moved around the body um, obviously I, I think one of the problems is that claims about this this energy or what is perceived to be an energy it gets horribly exaggerated in the modern world with you know kung fu masters throwing people <laughs> 20 feet away I've, I've seen a demonstration of this and um my my assessment having seen it is that it's a form of self-hypnosis on the, the parts of the participants uh who, who who may genuinely believe that they're being manipulated by some energy but it's really not credible at all yeah i mean i've um that's always funny to see actually uh yeah. a little bit of time in uh in in martial arts communities but uh one of the things that i picked up actually i i got into martial arts um i first started getting into martial arts by way of acupuncture i i went to right, school yeah. for that up up in new york um and you know they they make you do they make you take like uh you know six semesters of energy work uh, that can either you know be tai chi or qigong or yeah. you could take yoga I'm, I'm more of a of a qigong guy but right it was really really then despite myself that i began to feel exactly what you're talking about and it mm -hmm. the interesting thing is that it, it feels like i think mesmer called it animal magnetism and when you yeah, that you was know, his practice yeah right we're talking about the discovery or or i guess the experimentation with electricity and it really we understand electricity to be part of a spectrum which is the electromagnetic spectrum the actual feeling of this this thing right it feels like static electricity it feels like a combination of magnetism yeah. and <laughs> which is really um that's why i went to mesmer because yeah. his writing his writings were way more were way less you know sort of puzzle enigmatic than the Taoist stuff but there's no way i can right. i could approach that yeah but what uh what part do you think well let me ask you the question do you ha, have you ever been uh or ever considered yourself a practitioner of magic or anything like that any of those traditions I think you're the first person to actually ask me outright about that. So um, yeah, so when I was um, when I was very young, uh, I was very interested in magic and paganism, and um, I mean, my first sort of a, a little experiments in this one, I was about fifteen, and then fifteen again when I was sixteen, a little bit. Uh, when I was 17, I came across a, um, a basically an occult shop near where I lived in Kent, on the outskirts of London, and um, and I, I became uh, very very involved in the sort of scene. I think it, you could call it a scene um, around that shop, and I spent a lot of time, a lot of my time there. And um, there, there was a sort of pagan circle that was being neo pagan circle that was being run out of it. And, um, you know, I would say 
you know, although I have some really, really strong criticisms of this, uh, this was more than 30 years ago, um, you know, the one good thing was <clears throat> it, it kind of introduced me <clears throat> as a, you know, pretty young teenager to the idea that there was something more than shopping malls and suburbs and, and you know, modernity and that there was, you know, a kind of romantic spirit that could be recaptured and that <clears throat> there was something profound about nature and something beautiful about nature. And I think that that's, you know, that's pretty rare for, uh, you know, a 17-year-old to be introduced to those ideas. So I think uh, while most of it, I think, was pretty bad, I think that was valuable. Um, later on, uh, being kind of fed up with that scene for some pretty good reasons, uh, I, I started being more interested in uh, more serious forms of occultism. I was actually initiated uh, by Peter Carroll into the Illuminates of Thanateros when I was 19. Uh, and I remained a, a member for about a year or just a little over a year uh, of the of the only, uh, there was only one Len London temple at the time. And it was an incredibly intense experience. And one of the reasons I've never talked about it before is because, um, uh, you know, I've, I've never really... Uh, well, partly because, you know, it's not really appropriate to Freemasonry entirely, but also because, you know, I've not um, been in contact with anyone from that temple, but I actually did contact the the, the master of the temple at the time about, the, about 18 months ago and um, sent him my uh, recollections and asked him if it, it was if he thought it was accurate and uh, he said it it was uh, and they only made one tiny mistake about who was the master of the temple when I joined um, it was always the same person but there was someone else being very vivacious kind of presenting themselves as the uh, Magister Templi but uh, yeah, so, you know, and that was an incredibly, incredibly intense experience for a number of reasons. I mean, I was, I think at the time, I was probably the youngest ever member of the Illuminates of Thanateros. Um, it was a very intense time in general, I won't go into it, but, um, you know, uh, it, it, was, it was, I think it was more serious than other orders at the time. And we were definitely very dedicated to exploring sort of magical techniques and to exploring mostly, uh, most of all, um, even more than magical techniques, exploring, uh, you know, the idea of consciousness and trance or gnosis, as we called it. Um, yeah, so that was a very, very intense experience. Um, I sort of, I lost a little bit of faith in it by the end and for various reasons, not, not with all of the members, but um, yeah, I, I felt like I wanted to move on after a year. I mean, it seemed it was only a, a year that I was actually involved, but I, I mean, honestly, it feels like about five years. I think so much happened. So mm -hmm. it was very intense, you know, and the thing, you know, even things like, um, you know, my closest friend in in the London temple was like 27, 28 at the time. And we would, I would just go and stay, stay over at his house and he would come and stay at mine and things like this. And uh, so we, we were pretty involved in each other's lives. But uh, yeah, it was a, it was an experience and 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 a half. But uh, yeah, I mean, since then, uh, I mean, I've been involved in other little uh, other things. Very briefly, uh, I've mostly found them totally unsatisfactory, to be honest. Um, mm -hmm. uh, I mean, I've been involved in you know orders that sort of have some kind of tangential relationship to Freemasonry, among others. But uh, I've mostly found it not what interests me. Um, 
you know, not to be critical of Martinism, but for example, uh, Martinism, which a lot of Freemasons are attracted to, uh, to uh, you know, my my uh, reason for not being terribly interested in it is that it seems very close to Freemasonry to me, and I really feel I kind of got that down. Um, you know, if uh, what what interests me at this point is really uh, is really the experience of trance more than anything. Um, you know, I don't. I'm I'm certainly not a, a, a practice practitioner of magic, in the sense that um, uh, in the sense that I would fit neatly into the contemporary world of magic. You know, I'm not doing you know grimoire rituals or anything like that, or praying right. to certain gods. Uh, my perception, you know, more in line with Austin Osman's spare, I would say, uh, the English mm-hmm. uh, occultists of the early 20th century. Um, there was very much an influence on chaos magic. Uh, mm-hmm. m- my perception of these things is that you're not really, you shouldn't be remaining in these things forever. You're supposed to transcend them, um, which means you know, kind of leaving it all behind. It's like the alchemical idea of, you know, solve a coagula. You know, you, you have to dissolve these things so that they no longer exist and um, in this literal form anymore and transcend it and see what comes out the other side, um, which is, you know, potentially dangerous probably. But, um, you know, for, so for me, you know, I don't have any interest in practicing ritual magics. I feel like I've kind of dissolved that in a certain sense and transcended it. But... Uh, and I, you know, I don't want to come across as arrogant because I think that that's actually the aim. I think if you're practicing magic after thirty years, you're doing something wrong. You, uh, you know, it would be like it would be like studying a paint, a painting, and um, and thirty years later, your your work looks like your student work. Like, why well, you should have should look totally different by now because you're trying to represent that. You know, you're trying to represent your your genius. The the diamond right right so something has to come out more and more and you leave this other stuff behind i mean you still need you need to have learned the techniques and you know looked at the art for a considerable amount of time but at some point you need to transcend it and then that's when you embody your genius and maybe that's not the aim in magic i don't know but um, that was almost always my perception that it was I mean, the the thing about magic is that um, in my experience of it, it's like anything else. Um, you know, I could, uh, I could, I guess, <laughs> for somewhat of an abrasive analogy, I could take a gun and shoot somebody and it's murder in one context, it's self-defense in another. Um, so it's, it's kind of the, 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 um intention i think behind it because in my experience you know everything that we've touched on whether it's states of consciousness really that's 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 the primary cause in any kind of magical endeavor i think and um the potentiality of 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 utilizing a particular energy and uh you know these things exist in and of themselves they're components constituent components of you know, the world we live in and, and move and have our being, mm-hmm. but how, how you use them is going to depend on what you want, what you're looking. For. And I think a lot of people, particularly in certain circles, um, 
they come into something like magic, they're attracted to this very dated idea of, you know, uh, a neo-pagan sort of um, perhaps, you know, I'm trying to be delicate here, but money magic type of scene, you know, uh, for some sort of power or control over their life that they've been having troubles establishing of their own sort of, you know, makeup. Um, And when you go to something like a magical order, you know, to, to fill that hole without the development of character, without the development of morality, you end up in this kind of like circular cosplay like you you mentioned earlier or at least alluded to you are now becoming identified as this thing it's it's another persona it's another mm-hmm. costume that you begin to wear but i think um if you look at the sources of modern quote unquote magic really undeniably the earliest iteration of the hermetic order of golden dawn what is emphatically stated again and again by its founders is that you are not here simply to read tarot you're not here simply to wave your wand you're here to connect with the exact word you used the diamond your genius and uh a lot of people who i mean who wants to do that who wants to leave all this fun gear and posturing behind to essentially dissolve yourself into you know that seed that has to corrode in order to release the the tree within no, no people are afraid of doing that you know and mm-hmm. uh but i think i think if you if you look at, at at the trajectory or at least the intended trajectory of of essentially the source of modern western esoteric magic it was exactly what you're saying magic will no longer be something you do it becomes what you are Right. Yeah. Exactly. Yeah. Yeah. Well, and I, th- I think in in regard to the the Golden Dawn, it has to be said as well that um, you know the early Hermetic Order of the Golden Dawn was full of really really fascinating characters. You know, uh, actresses, um, theatre producers. You know, uh, Florence Farr, um, uh, yeah. uh, W. B. Yeats, the you know poet laureate. Um, just really uh, brilliant and creative individuals who were kind of movers and shakers in their time. And, um, you know, it's difficult to, it's difficult to find a scene like that today. And, you know, and and I'm not, you know, I'm not cracking the, 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 the IOT up to be anything like that, but I would say that, you know, when I, when I was involved in it, I think uh, every, there's about eight people who were active in the London temple at the time. But uh, I think yeah, I think something like six became authors. Uh, one of them was a translator, uh, and two were or maybe, actually so maybe five authors, and then two were avant-garde musicians that are well known. And I'm not not going to name them, but mm-hmm. uh, so you know it. Um, so you know that's that's pretty high for any uh, for you know eight people. That's a pretty high success rate. I think it's really about. I think there's about seven people that really made a mark in the world, um, uh, either then or either before then or uh, after. So, you know, and, but these things are very temporary as well, you know, and I think it, when, when orders are young, it attracts these kinds of people that are sort of innovative and creative and think outside the box. And then it settles down into a kind of, a kind of religion really where people go because mm-hmm. they know what they're going to get and it feels stable and it's not really rocking the boat too much 
Yeah. Yeah. I, I, I definitely experienced some of that actually. Yeah. Um, I, I think it's interesting that you, you, you mentioned uh, Austin Osmond Spare as, as one of your influences. I, um, I'm familiar with his technique of sort of trance sigil crafting again, you know, bringing it back to that, that uh, trance or state of, yeah. of consciousness. And what, what I found really, really interesting, and I'm not, I mean, right. Who knows what he was reading or what he was influenced by. Well, he was influenced a lot by, you know, psych psychology and, you know, by Freud. I mean, when you read his work, it's all basically a riff on psychology, although he, Kind of hated Freud and Jung, but it seems where his <laughs> yeah, ideas were coming from. What What's really interesting, actually, is that there is this tradition in Taoism uh, of fu or sin crafting, and it's very, very old. Um, I would say it it goes it goes back into antiquity, and I, it's actually I, I read about this stuff from a guest that I recently had on. Uh, Benabel Wen, her book, The Tao of Craft, covers mm. all this stuff in great, great detail. And uh, it talks about how many Taoist lineages will have a familial sigil. And mm -hmm. this familial sigil gets passed down through the generations, but at some point it was created by an ancestor through a type of trance automatic yeah. writing, yeah. basically exactly what he was doing. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I mean, I, just as a personal, I should say he he was a, a strong influence when I was young. I wouldn't say he's an influence now, although I, I like and I appreciate his artwork. But uh, yeah, I mean, he was certainly, in, you know, sort of interesting and innovative in his own way. I mean, it's his techniques seem to come more from um, or and his worldview some, comes more from psychology, from Darwinism. And from uh, and from hypnotism than from magic per se, uh, as at least right. as it was at that time. Yeah, absolutely. It's just it's it's always continually interesting to me to see the way techniques kind of we may arrive at them by by different philosophical or ideological avenues, but it, it's just it's very interesting to me to see when when things sort of have that uh, um, happy overlay, you know. Yeah. Uh, I, coincidence or whatever it is brings us to essentially you know i just thought that was fascinating he was doing things these Taoist priests were doing thousands yeah. like a thousand yeah but I, I i wanted to say that i was introduced to you through your your literary output uh particularly the more recent stuff path of the warrior mystic and the three stages of initiatic spirituality they spoke to me uh i mean at a soul level, really, particularly at the time mm -hmm. uh, when we were going through this massive worldwide crisis, and um, yeah, it actually, it it actually led me to a new path in my life. Oh, um, interesting. I, yeah, I, I decided to uh, to change careers because of it. Uh, I'd be I went from uh, one career and in. Uh, health and wellness to I'm, I'm a carpenter now and and uh oh, wow. yeah and it's very different it's very different but um the thing is like your writing was so concise and clear and the ideas were so well formed and articulated that i'd have these moments that i guess i could consider like overwhelm you know like real personal realization so mm -hmm. i i'm i'm very fascinated to 
to hear about maybe w- what influences in your life sort of converged to to create the the writing of these books. Yeah, yeah. Well, I think you know, with the path of the warrior mystic in particular. Um, I really felt that it was just writing itself, quite honestly. And that's my fifth book that's been published. Um, and I think, I think you know, a lot of things just came together at that time. Or at least, you know, I kind of had spent a few decades thinking about these things. And I felt perfectly confident putting it down on paper, what I really think. Um, you know, my first three books were histories. You have to do a lot of research for writing histories, of course. Um, uh, the Path of the Warrior Mystic is more of a kind of meditation on the problems that we're facing today and that we'll be facing this century and uh, why we're in this situation and how we can overcome it. So I think, you know, my experience in life is also quite varied as well. You know, again, I've written three histories. Um, I studied the fine arts in London. I've lived in three countries. I live in New, New York at the moment, and I've been here for about over, well, almost twenty-five years. But uh, and um, uh, I practiced martial arts um, for you know over a decade. Uh, so, and I'm sure I'm forgetting other things as well. Oh, I, yeah, I, I practiced fine art for a long time. So, so you know, fine art, martial arts, um, you know early adventures in magic uh practicing you know hypnotism and meditation for three decades by now it's quite it's quite a mix and um you, you know at a certain point all of these have to come together and and people may think that that's kind of a, a you know a lot or a wild mix but actually when you look at um uh you know uh, you know master martial artists in in japan for example you find that you know someone who's a master of sword fighting or kendo uh you know a very very often a master of uh, calligraphy and poetry as well and uh, and considered to be a zen master as well so these three elements go together which i wrote about in the three stages of initiatic spirituality and um you know so so i think Sure, you know, for the average quote unquote magician uh, who, you know, goes to their nine to five job and then they practice magic on the weekends or they belong to an order. Yeah, it seems kind of crazy, all of these different things. But but actually, you know, I think practicing martial arts, fine art, uh, meditation, hypnosis, um, this is a, a kind of classical model that goes back, you know, a thousand years or more than a thousand years and you find it not only in uh in japan you find it all over the the world so even plato spoke about education being through wrestling martial arts through philosophy and through uh music so you know again this is craftsman warrior magician elements you find it in sufism uh, you really find it all over so um, yeah, so, you know, having practiced these different things and kind of integrated them in, in a certain sense, or at least integrated them into my life, you know, I felt perfectly confident to be able to make a definitive statement. And I think, you know, honestly, um, I think at a certain point, that's what you have to do. You know, I, I very much dislike um, when I come across you know, people who say that they're a practicing magician and they're 
50, 60 years old and they tell me that we're, we're all students because I think what they're really trying to do is, is present themselves as very humble and while, uh, while, while being seen as a teacher of the esoteric and at the same time being able to avoid being wrong by saying, well, I'm just a student as well. And I think at some point you have to take the risk of being wrong and uh, and and that's that's integrity and, and saying that you, we're all students when you're 40 50 60 it's like no at some point we're not all students and it's just it's just a get out clause that, so you can cover your back when you're wrong and at some point you that's just uh reprehensible behavior and it's not humble at all it's, it's disgraceful uh, you know, you know, uh, you, you you never see um, martial artists saying well, we're all students. Yeah, I mean, of course, we're all learning. That is true, obviously. But there is a certain point when you can't hide behind that anymore. And it's only in the esoteric world that I see that. I don't see that in any other world whatsoever. And it's not it's not from humility. So right, that's what that's why I made these statements in, in these books and well, well they you know they to some people i'm sure they seem hard-hitting but i think some people need to have these you know uh uncomfortable truths uh put to them uh so they cannot yeah. hide behind this sort of thing anymore absolutely i mean ultimately even though it might be abrasive uh it's i think ultimately it's a kindness you know? well it is and that's what a lot of people don't understand because they they are they want to live in the fantasy, but I take them seriously, uh, which is what they don't like. I take them. See, if you if you tell me you practice esotericism, I'm going to take you seriously. Um, so what you what I say, you might not like if you're a fantasist. If you're an esotericist, you'll you'll appreciate it. But that's that's not my fault. I'm just taking what you say seriously. <laughs> so yeah, yeah, if you don't like Absolutely. it, absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. We have to, I mean, one of the things that you talk about also uh, is, is the use of language and the misuse mm -hmm. perhaps of, of language and to hold sure. people accountable for their, for their words, you know, the things that they claim. Um, uh, it's, I think it's, it's everyone's duty, uh, especially now to do that. And that's why I love your writing so much. Yeah, well, writing, you know, writing is important. And I would say it's important for everyone. I know that we now have computer programs that will write things for us. But, but you know, the process of writing is a process of, of a contemplation or, or meditation on a subject. And you, you, you learn to use more and more precise words because uh, you are able to think about things more and more precisely. And, um, you know, it's kind of a tragedy that people you know don't write or don't want to write or th or think that think that by getting a computer algorithm to write something for them that, that that they have that knowledge you know you don't it's a it's an ongoing process that takes a long time yeah yeah can you imagine what's what's your book about i don't know <laughs> right yeah <laughs> so yeah. what on on that tack are you working on anything at the moment yeah, I'm getting close to finishing a, a, another book, um, which is really about self-development and uh, creativity and, and achievement in <clears throat> in our chaotic and unpredictable world. And what 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 are the sort of foundational practices and attitudes and um, uh, and foundational um, uh, things that we need to develop in ourselves? 
and how how we need to look at the world if we're going to uh, navigate it and be successful in it. And I don't necessarily mean materially sex successful. I mean that would be one approach, but you know, if you want to be uh, you know a profound artist or great musician who who is relevant to to today uh you know that's the kind of thing i'm looking at as well i mean sure it could be for an entrepreneur but it could also be for you know creative individual oh yeah entrepreneurs aren't creative because generally they are yeah that's that's excellent like uh can't wait to to read that read that and you also do uh you do mentoring yeah, I mean, uh, yeah, so I do hypnotism and mentoring. Uh, at the moment, I'm doing a little less than I have done simply because I'm, I'm very busy with other things. But, you know, when people approach right. me, I'll, I'll do it for sure. Yeah. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. yeah and you're, ba- you're, you're, you're based in New York. Is that, that's typically a local thing for you? Uh, usually I do it um, via the, the internet, actually. Okay. Yeah. Awesome. Excellent. Yeah. Um, so there's two questions, two stock questions that I ask everyone. Um, <clears throat> I'm going to alter one for you. <clears throat> I usually ask people how, because a lot, a lot of the people that I have on are, are experienced esotericists and people who uh, practice magic and, and things like that. Um, I, I like to ask them how, how, you, um, how they experienced their, their magic rather than attempting to, to give a kind of definition of it but I'd, I'd like to ask you um what do you find most magical about the world you know or or your your own sphere of influence um the most magical thing about the world or, or the sphere my sphere of influence well i mean i think language is is a magical thing um in that the way you use language can completely transform someone's uh, worldview. Uh, and that's actually the thing that you're doing in mentoring or a therapist would do in therapy. I'm not a therapist, but you know, that's partly what you're doing, right? Somebody comes to you and they're stuck on something and, uh, and you get them through the use of language to see that actually that's not the way it is and that the world is different and that they're not the way they thought they think they are. And uh, and it can be completely transformative, and um, you know that that is that is magic. Um, there's there's a there's a, a an academic who talks about the runes, and uh, you know academics who talk about the runes tend to downplay or even outright dismiss any kind of relationship with with between magic and uh, the runes. And I, I would say I'm probably somewhere but between the sort of esoteric world and the academic world and that i i don't think it is what the esoteric world claims it is um i don't think it's quite as banal as what the academics say either uh somewhere between the two but uh but jackson crawford made this interesting point um in one video that he, that he made and uh, he said that you know actually magic in uh among the norse or northern europeans who were using runes wasn't wasn't really formulaic um you know, you don't really find formula spells until later on. Uh, but the the magic was actually what somebody said. You know, somebody would say something and then it would appear to have some phenomenal reaction. And then people would say, oh, that person caused this event to occur because of what they said. And, um, you know, maybe that's, maybe that's sort of making it a bit mundane, but certainly the idea that... Uh, 
real magic is not a formula real magic is something inherent and you speak it and you transform the world that that is i think inherently correct um yeah so so you know i think uh, the use of language is magical and you find that, this in, uh, in earlier nlp texts as well that this clearly acknowledge this uh, yeah that's um that is a fantastic answer thank you um <laughs> so the last question I, I usually ask is, can you give two or three um, books, sources, podcasts, personages, whatever, um, that you'd recommend to any potential, list, potential listeners who want to explore some of the ideas that we've spoken about today? I, I know we've covered quite a, a broad swath, but anything that comes to your mind? Yeah. Well, and, you know, to be honest, I can't really think of any books. I mean, I read very, very widely and I would recommend that you should be reading, you know, sure, you should read books on the esoteric, you should read books on religion, you should read books on business, uh, you should read books on creativity. Um, you need to really have uh, have a sort of wide spectrum of interest and see, and see where they uh, overlap and where the common themes are. Um yeah, I, th I think, and, you know, if I was going to recommend anything and and uh, he would absolutely detest me recommending him, um, it would probably be uh, um, Sheikh Hamza Yusuf and his uh, Zaytuna Institute, uh, which is a, which is an Islamic institute. Uh, and I'm not I'm not a Muslim, um, but I think, uh, you know, he's a very intelligent individual who, who thinks very uh, intelligently about religion and about being and about being in the world today um so i would tend to re re recommend people like that which you know have no real connection to esotericism and probably wouldn't like freemasonry and certainly doesn't certainly doesn't like magic he's <laughs> very much opposed to it but um but but you know i suppose i would say this so let me put it another way uh you should seek out whoever is the most intelligent in the field and that tends to be outside of esotericism to be honest you know find you know find intelligent representatives of religions find intelligent representatives of fine art martial arts self-development business um you know because these people spend a lot of time thinking so even you know even you know an entrepreneur who's risked all his money in launching some new company is going to have thought about things a lot harder and will have learned a lot more about life than somebody who spent five or ten years reading books on you know how to perform magic rituals so so i would say you know you probably want to look outside of that world find the best representatives of these different worlds that that we are ultimately have to navigate and um yeah pursue that but as for uh, as for books i wouldn't or podcasts or anything i wouldn't really recommend any because I, I i pursue things too widely for it to really be representative mm -hmm. well, that's excellent advice i think especially for esotericists but um i uh i thank you very much angel miller for for coming on and and having this conversation with me today it's uh it's been a real pleasure oh, thank you i appreciate that <laughs>